Welcome to Season 2 of the Founders Speak stage, which made its debut to a packed audience in Japan in May 2023. Exceptional startup founders took the iconic yellow circle in the heart of Tokyo City and shared untold stories that have shaped who they are. We're deeply grateful to SMBC for their support and being our venue sponsor. My name is Naveen Suri and I'm your host. My name is Sagari White and I'm your co-host. Our speaker today is Nalin Advani, president of Thai Japan, a hands-on investor with two IPOs from 20 Series A investments so far. His talk is titled, The Power of Being Not, Three Lessons in Adaptability. Let's listen to Nalin. I'm Nalin. I'm going to tell you a little bit about my story, but try and share some of my learnings with you. Um, hmm. So I have spent a lifetime being not. Not Japanese, not Singaporean, not Indian, not American, not an investor, not a founder, not a builder. Over time, I came to realize that being not is a secret power. And this power allows an entrepreneur to have significant and meaningful impact. So we have so many entrepreneurs here. I'm going to ask you, what is an entrepreneur? How are we to behave? Somewhere along the way, we create a persona. We create an image of what we're supposed to be like, how we're supposed to talk, how we're supposed to dress, and how we're supposed to behave. The truth is, we hamper our potential by sticking to a script. And that's the thing. An entrepreneur is an entrepreneur because we're supposed to find a new way to solve old problems, and in some cases, a new way to tackle new problems. That's what we do. So instead, I invite you to consider capabilities rather than the persona of an entrepreneur. And I think there's many different ways to refer to these capabilities, but I'd like to stick with the three that come very naturally, naturally to me. Those are the capability of being a founder, the capability of being an investor, and the capability of being a builder. I started out as a builder, like most folks in my generation. We were trained to not take a risk. This is when the economy was doing great. We were invited to come in and build on top of the foundations of the people, our seniors who were founders, and we did great. We got our monthly paychecks, we got our quarterly or semi-annual bonuses, and we were happy. However, I watched carefully my CEO, my first boss, Samuel Chow, and I watched what he was doing. He was building an empire while we were getting our monthly checks. And I observed Samuel. Not only was he a brilliant founder, but he was also an investor. Let me see if I can get this. So of my founder, investor, builder, triptych, Samuel had founded a company. He was taking US tech companies to market in Japan. But on top of that, he was investing in them. And so one day at age 23, I worked up the courage 
to talk to Samuel and said, Sir, I see you're investing in these companies and you've taken a few of them public. Could I please invest in one of these companies with you? Can I piggyback? And Samuel laughed at me and he thought about it. He said, okay, sidecar. I scrambled because all of a sudden I had to come up with the money. I went to my dad and said, hey dad, we're gonna get rich. Can I borrow $15,000? And so I borrowed 15K, invested it in this company, radical chip company. It's gonna change the way the world works because it understood how memory prices fluctuated and found a way to work around that. One year later, the company filed for bankruptcy. I found, after talking to Samuel, that he had invested in another company, polar opposite radical philosophy. In Samuel's mind, this company was gonna solve the problem either way. While I invested on the one on the left, for those of you facing me, he invested in both of them. And the one on the right, it was the right one. That one got acquired by Via Semiconductor for several tens of millions of dollars, made him quite wealthy, but it left me with a 15K hole in my pocket. And I had to explain to my dad what happened. Couldn't do that very well. So, what did I learn? Samuel gained visibility at scale. He was able to look at it from all angles because he was not just a founder, he was an investor. He had visibility across the horizon and he was able to see which of these companies is gonna succeed. And he didn't really care which one would go chapter 11 because a couple of them going chapter 11 is still offset by the one or two that go public or that get acquired at tens of millions of dollars. So by building, by using the investor's mindset on top of the builder's mindset, Samuel was able to show me where my gaps were. And he was able to show how he was able to move beyond the playing field and really get um, the ability to uncover opportunities that would have not been visible to a person who had just invested in one company. At 23 years old and at $15,000 in debt, I was not about to adopt Samuel's strategy. Instead, I went back to work. I doubled down. It was a painful lesson, but I doubled down and went back to being a builder. Right? So here, I spent, I would say, several years now as a builder running the Japan or Asia entities for U.S. tech companies. I became a really good builder, and these tech companies would headhunt me. Every three or four years, I got a new gig. Jim, I see you nodding. Right? Every three or four years, I got a new gig. With each new gig, my salary or my income and my stock doubled. I was pretty happy. And I paid my dad back. But somewhere in there, I had this burning feeling that I want to be more than just a builder. So I started investing in startups along the way. Probably four or five. And in my fifth startup in, I was very fortunate because I got an IPO on NASDAQ. So what next? Found a company? Me? Too risky. And I don't have the patience. Wait, 
What do I do? Can I put this money into a company that already exists and help it transform? At 35, that's exactly what I found. I was introduced to a gentleman, Sawadasan, and Sawadasan was the founder of a software consulting company, primarily on edge computing space. And this is the space I was in for the last 10 years. Sawadasan and I had a deep conversation, and we said, look, Sawadasan, you're gonna have to get out of consulting because that's going commodity. You have the opportunity to transform into a platform business. Saudasan and I talked a fair bit, and he said, Advani-san, could you help? Would you please buy out my co-founder's shares and join me and help this company make the leap? That was an eye-opener for me. For Samuel Chow, I had to ask him to let me invest money, and I lost it. For Saudasan, he's asking me to invest. And actually, he didn't need my money. He needed me. I made an equity stake. I got very involved in the business, helped the transformation, turned the ship around from a consulting business to a product royalty license fee generating machine. The change was so dramatic that I was invited to change, rechristen the company, give it a new brand, a new identity, a new name. And that still sticks today. The business grew and flourished, and my role as a builder gradually faded because I, had, I did what I had to do. I stayed a deep supporter of the company and moved on from day-to-day -day activities, but I was very fortunate because the company then did a successful IPO on the TSE. What did I learn? By not being a founder, I was free of constraints, of being boxed in. I was able to think beyond a founder. I was still a re-founder, because I came in late, and because I was the refounder, I was the investor, not just thinking out of the box, I was able to transform the company. I had the rights to, I had earned the right to because I put money in and I knew the market and I knew the business. They needed an outsider to come in and do this. The builder in me was the outsider, the investor in me was the insider. It is this radical adaptability that empowers us to push very large changes. Almost 10 years later, I was introduced to another founder, Ravi. Ravi really forced me to redefine a founder's role in my head. He came also from a consulting background, and he wanted to revolutionize enterprises by building a hyper-personalized work experience platform for employees. Ravi invited me to join his business, which was Singapore-based, and to try and help grow that business beyond Southeast Asia. I declined. Why? Two reasons. One, despite years of experience in the corporate setting, I didn't really understand the work or the HR space. Two, for what it would have costed Ravi to bring me in as a builder, he could have gone out and gotten a much younger team who understood the market, understood the opportunity, and would have hit the ground running. So I, consult, I, I 
basically told Ravi, look, it doesn't make sense. You need to go out. You need to go find that team and implement it that way. But he didn't give up. His tenacity, his adaptability, and probably more than anything, his eternal, infinite positivity kept him coming. And it made me think, what makes this guy tick? What makes this person tick? How does he keep pushing and how does he keep going forward? I finally thought, whether I understand this market or not, I want to be with Ravi on this ride. And so I turned the tables on him and I said, Ravi, I'm not joining you as a builder, but would you let me invest in your company, in your seed round? I will work for free. I will help you with raising funds from the VC community. And I will help you with Japan, business development Japan, because I know Japan really well. Ravi looked at me and he said, I still remember this. He said, Nalin, you're going to work with me. You're going to put your money in my company, and you're not going to take any money from me. You know what that means? That means you're going to be my co-founder. That response floored me. I went home that day a little bit wiser, thinking about the opportunity that I was given to go from being a builder to an investor to a co-founder of this fledgling company with great potential. We worked hard, we talked to VCs, we raised money, including from Japan's largest telco. And also because of that, I took more and more of a builder role. And as a builder, the Japanese telco saw my commitment that I was gonna put my neck on the line as a co-founder, and they eventually grew to become one of our most strategic customers. The platform has evolved, we have meaningful impact, and most importantly, the company has been able to attract the best talent in the world to manage the business. What did I learn? Had I stuck to slotting myself into traditional roles, I would never have taken this opportunity. By understanding what it means to be not, we can adapt between being a founder, an investor, and a builder. And it's all these roles, it's all these mentalities that allow us to adapt to growing our business and make a meaningful contribution at each stage. Today, I apply different combinations of these mentalities, mindsets, as an investor and as a mentor of companies. Uh, across all of Asia. As a co-founder of a mental uh, health startup in the US, as an LP in four, front, four funds across four countries, and as a board member of a company on the Japanese, uh, large SI on the Japanese TSE. There is power in being not. And this power comes from understanding that we are not just not just a founder, not just an investor, not just a builder. Most of us have all these capabilities in different degrees, but unfortunately our surroundings and our mindset forces us to think of ourselves as, I'm a CEO, I'm a COO, I'm a VP of sales. But this works against us. By adapting between founder, 
investor, and builder mindsets. We free ourselves from the constraints these thinking, this way of thinking brings us, and we open ourselves to achieve far more impactful outcomes. If you'd like to watch this talk, please visit the Founders Peak page on elevandi.io.